Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Mel King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. One, two. That is save number 100 for Liam Hendricks. And the Sox are in a tie for second place in the American League Central. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's been a lot of fun the first hour. Going to be even better the second. David Hoff, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. And this is great going out to the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book, to find our good friend from NBC Sports Chicago, from the score, Steve Stone. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I'm pretty good, David. Bruce, how are you this morning? We're doing well. We're talking baseball. What could be better than that? Let's start with Dylan Cease. Made history last night, Steve. I know that we have talked about him before, but when he does what he did last night and he goes for the 13th straight start and becomes the first major league pitcher to do that and allow one earned run or less, there's there's nothing else, there's no other place to start. How do you put that in historical context, and what does he continue to do so consistently to make him uh, at the level that he's pitching at? Although the span of 76 innings, which is that streak we're talking about, he's given up five earned runs, four on solo home runs, and the one last night after a couple of walks. So in looking at his body of work over this relatively short period of time, uh, you would say that, uh, well, he's been dominating. He's been overpowering. He's been absolutely unbeatable. And then you take a look at how he did it last night, and in some ways last night was – one of the most impressive. It certainly wasn't one of the most dominant. He didn't have command early. He made a mechanical tweak with his, uh, his warm-up pitches heading into the third inning. He felt that uh, he needed to do something because he couldn't really get the feel for it. I think that shows more than anything else, else the maturation process of Dylan Cease. And he's become not only uh, a guy with great stuff, not only uh, a young pitcher with a wonderful arm, He's become truly a pitcher, and he showed it last night because when you looked at what he did early, you thought, okay, well, the streak has got to end tonight because he gives up a run in the first inning, walks a couple of guys, walked a guy in the second inning, and uh, just didn't have that depth on the slider that he's had at other times. And then you realize that uh, this guy understands what he's doing. He understands how to correct it on the fly, which is something that younger pitchers can't usually do. And and I think – I think when looking at him, I kind of marvel at what he's become. Now, a couple of years ago, 
I ran afoul of all of the geniuses on Twitter because I said that Dylan C. said the best stuff on the staff, that they have to be patient with him because this is a guy that can make a huge impact in the major leagues. And everybody was saying, well, they have to trade him. He can't go six innings. He can't do this. He can't do that. I think it's pretty easy for people to point out what other people can't do, not realizing that pitchers develop a little bit later than hitters. I mean, you know, for for every Soto who comes up and dominates at the ages of 19, 20, 21, 22, whatever the case may be, there are pitchers who have to take a little bit longer. The light turns on uh, a little later. And for Dylan Cease, I think all of that holds true. Yes, he still has the best stuff on the staff. Yes, he still has that great arm. But finally, all that potential is translating into performance, and you just have to marvel at what he's accomplished so far. Steve, are we missing the boat here? And are we, uh, certainly we know Cease has improved greatly, but is there another major reason for that? And that is uh, Ethan Katz, the pitching coach, who not only uh, has, uh, I believe, helped every pitcher on the staff, including Lopez, come around to be one of the best uh, middle relievers in the game this year, but uh, the work he's done with Michael Kopech as well as Cease and uh, with Giolito is, is nothing short of amazing for me to watch. Watching, uh, watching Michael Kopech pitch this year at 93-94 with a bum knee that's not going to be uh, solid for the whole year and getting people out for five, six, seven innings. Well, first of all, Ethan is not one to toot his own horn. And also, it's not a one-man show. Kurt Hassler does a terrific job. He's the bullpen coach, as you know, and a former major league pitcher and a guy who understands pitching very well. And I think between Kurt Hassler and Ethan Katz, I I think the Sox have two of the finest uh, pitching gurus around. I love and, I, and I've loved Ethan from the beginning because I talked with him very early in his tenure as a Sox pitching coach. And I like not only the mechanical ability to straighten out pitchers, but I like the psychology that he uses. I like the fact that he gets to the mental aspect of pitching and the fact that he's got a very, a very calm uh, hand on the tiller. He's a guy who, uh, who doesn't get excited. He goes out. There's a sense of confidence that what he's telling you is something to help you at a given moment. Then when you have your side sessions, he's going to give you something that he sees that can make you a little bit better. Uh, there's a, there's a, a wonderful saying that if you, can, if you buy the salesman, you'll buy whatever he's selling. And the key, I think, coming in new for Ethan Katz was that he had to get this pitching staff to buy the salesman, in this case, Ethan Katz. Once you did that, then he could take them, he could move them, he could, uh, he could do various things with suggestions. And also what I liked is that he wasn't a one-size-fits-all because each and every one of these pitchers is completely different, not only in their mental acuity but in their arm, in their stuff, in the things that they do, in the way they go about it. And you have to know how to turn the light on with a bunch of different guys, whether it's Ronaldo Lopez suddenly finding more velocity and more consistency and the ability to throw that slider over the outside corner at will and then paint the inside corner at 98. I mean, that's certainly one of the great, uh, one of the great processes that we've seen out of the Sox bullpen in a long time because it wasn't long ago where they're saying, you know, what are we going to do with this guy? He can't start. He can't pitch at the back end. What are we going to do with him? Well, we found out when he's healthy, he's a huge weapon out of the bullpen. But I think, Bruce, you're right that Ethan Katz is in line for a, uh, for a whole lot of accolades here, and it's, the season's not over yet. But Ethan's been here for a couple of years, and I just like what he's doing. And I also believe 
that uh, in the great tradition of pitching coaches, and for a long time Don Cooper was the guy, but he was kind of a one-man show. I don't think that Ethan is. I think he takes suggestions from Kurt Hassler or anybody else who suggests things to him. He's got a logical answer for everything he does, and you realize he's never going to get rattled in any situation, and I think that's calming for this pitching staff. I also think, and I don't think this is a stretch to say this, out of all the pitching coaches that I've seen, for the younger guys and the next wave of guys coming up, I think Ethan Katz has the ability to be at or near the top of the heap. I think he's just starting uh, to understand a little bit more about what it takes to be a top-of-the-line pitching coach, and I think he's pretty close now. I think he'll only get better, and with it, he'll be a wonderful asset for the White Sox organization. Steve, when we talk to you throughout the week, we have the privilege of zeroing in on some things day-to-day with the White Sox and how the season mm-hmm. has gone. I think what's interesting, too, is to give you an opportunity here on, on this Saturday morning where we talk baseball to look at things big picture, and I just wanted to get your perspective on this. You look at the way the Sox are put together for the long haul, and Rick Hahn identified in the organization positional players to lock up long-term, from Tim Anderson to Mancada to Aloy to Luis Robert, and that is their core. And they build out from that core. Whereas across town, you see the Cubs. We just talked to Craig Breslow, and they're identifying young pitchers, and they're trading for prospects. And they drafted 16 to 20 players who were pitchers because they need to rebuild that infrastructure, and that is the way they're going to go this time, as opposed to last time when they had Bryant and Schwarber and Rizzo and Baez. I just wonder, as a former pitcher, as a guy who won a Cy Young, do you have a, a preferred route? to a championship do you think one is a smarter method than the other i don't think that you can take one aspect of it and say okay this is the right way to do it we're going to take this aspect and we're going to make this hold up we all know that pitching is supremely important without it then you really can't score enough runs unless you're the uh, 92-93 toronto blue jays who pounded their way basically they had good pitchers but that offense was really something there are very few teams who can do that Excuse me. So what I say is this. Um, You can build really wonderful pitching, and that always helps. But one of the keys to wonderful pitching are the things that I experienced in Baltimore when I was there. We had wonderful pitching also. But we had something else that went hand-in-hand with wonderful pitching. We wouldn't give you the fourth out in an inning. We wouldn't give you the fifth out in an inning. We gave you three. And after three, the inning was over, and our offense came to bat. So that presupposes that literally all around the diamond, behind that pitcher, you're actually going to make plays that get you out of the inning after three outs. So you can't disregard defense when you're talking about pitching, because good defense will make good pitching great. Bad defense will make good pitching bad. That's just kind of the way baseball has always been. Catch the ball, throw it where you're supposed to, play heads up, anticipate the next play coming up. You're going to find yourself with good pitching because guys can catch the ball. And, again, it seems routine. You know, you get three outs in an inning, and if you give another team three outs, most likely you're going to beat them. But if you give a decent team four outs or five outs, odds are overwhelming you're not. Now, last night was one of those nights where the Sox uh, gave the Texas Rangers more than three outs a couple of different times. They won the ball game. It didn't come back to haunt them, but it easily could have. And so I think that every team, when they set out to build their organization around pitching, they better pay attention to the defense. If they don't, the pitching's not going to matter. And, of course, in this day and age, we like to see guys hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's fine. We also like 
to see something else, and that's something that the Sox have to work on. Uh, in 1988, I believe, they drafted Robin Ventura, and I can't remember a run-producing left-hand hitter that was signed, drafted, and developed out of the White Sox organization since Robin. Now, because I wasn't here all those years, I don't remember exactly, but I was looking back trying to find one of those guys. And I think more attention has to be paid to the balance of your lineup. Being a right-handed breaking ball pitcher, I realize that a team with at least five left-handers, at least three of them able to consistently drive in runs, that would be the most difficult lineup for me to face because I depended on cutting the ball, sliding the ball, and mostly curving the ball. And consequently, if that goes into a left-hand hitter instead of away from a right-hand hitter, those are the guys that if I made a mistake, they were really going to hurt me. But the Sox haven't had that kind of balance. Now, in this lineup, we can't you know, manufacture left-handers at this point of the season. But that's why it's of critical importance to have Moncada and to have Grandal participating on a nightly basis and driving in some runs. What you get out of Gavin Sheets, you get. He's still a young hitter. I don't know if you can consistently depend on him, but he will surprise you. Hit the ball out of the ballpark because he's very strong. I'm not sure if necessarily that's the guy that you want to lean on, but it's very important to have that balance. That's something going forward the Sox are going to have to deal with. They're going to have to somehow get some balance in this lineup. They've got really good right-hand hitters. But as you see, when there's a guy that can get a slider over the plate and he throws with his right hand, this team is going to have some trouble scoring. Uh, sure, they're going to have the, you know, the assorted game where they score seven, eight, nine runs against a right-hander who's not hitting his spots. But for the most part, even mediocre right-handers give this team some problems. That's because of lack of balance, and it's something you have to address going forward. Steve Stone on the score making a run at the Cal Ripken record of being on the station uh, for over 2,500 times uh, joining us today. And we appreciate it very much because it's always good, whether it's every day or it's three times a week, it's always informational and it's always fun. Steve, when you, when you look, uh, my question is Tim Anderson. Where is the swagger? Yeah, I mean, look, like you said on broadcast yesterday, he can fall out of bed and get two hits, no problem. But there's, there's an, a missing element here, and if you believe what everybody, everyone has said over the last three years, Tim Anderson is the uh, energizer of this lineup. He's what makes this team go, uh, particularly on offense. Um, where is that swag, swagger, and is that one of the major problems uh, that the White Sox have had so far this year? Well, I think Tim would be the first to tell you that he's not playing at the level that he wants to play at, and yet he's still hitting over 300. He's certainly in a slump now and evaluating somebody who's in a deep slump, who's missing pitches he usually hits, who's not taking the ball to right field uh, quite as extensively as he once did. Uh, that's something that comes and goes for a lot of different players. I think what the Sox really need Tim to do is to shore up the defense. His footwork has not been good around second base. He's been inconsistent as far as catching the baseball and making good, solid throws. Yesterday on the double play that should have been made, he kind of faded away from the throw, and they didn't turn the double play. That's something that you just have to do. So the routine play is something that Tim, I'm sure, would like to work on and get better at. But if he's your biggest worry, I think you're in pretty good shape. I don't think he's the biggest worry on this team. And I think that he's going to come back and be the Tim that we've seen over the last few years, a guy that won a batting title. Uh, but 
in looking at him and evaluating his whole game, the one thing you can possibly say is he's got to somehow shore up the defense because if you're going to play shortstop, if you're going to be in the middle of relay throws, if you're going to be in the middle of double plays coming from the first and second baseman, if you're going to be asked to hit leadoff for this team and get on base and be the table setter, you're going to have to have everything going together as one. Consequently, you're going to have to concentrate for every pitch, for every inning of every game. And I think sometimes Tim has been guilty of not necessarily doing that as well as he possibly can. Sometimes for a defender, uh, that bat is of critical importance. When the bat is really good, the defense gets a whole lot better. Uh, Tim has always had these periods where things have been tough for him in the field, but I think he certainly got a whole lot better for about a month and a half period before kind of slipping back. So, again, not the White Sox' biggest problem, but something they would like to see uh, corrected sooner rather than later. You'd have to think with the skill level that he has, he's going to be able to do that. And that goes part and parcel with what we've seen. Uh, his historically good pitching out of Dylan Cease, wonderful pitching out of the starting rotation, and now with the back end of the bullpen coming together with the addition of Jake Diekman from the left side, I think we're seeing what Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams envisioned as far as the strength of the team uh, being the pitching, both in the starting rotation and the bullpen. I think the bullpen has gotten a whole lot better. And, again, we talked about it earlier, boys. Uh, that pitching goes hand-in-hand -hand with defense. Steve, regarding your point about left-handed power for the White Sox, tell me I'm crazy, and it's fine if you do, but Oscar Colas is really hitting at a high level at double-A. He's mm -hmm. hitting for power at double-A. He bats from the left-handed side of the plate. Is it inconceivable, improbable, or just plain silly to think that he could come up in September and help this Sox team? Well, first of all, it's not silly. Second of all, uh, it's not impossible. Uh, it is improbable, but he could very well do that. They've had a lot of hitters who have done that before. I, I can't gauge his readiness because I haven't seen him play over an extended period of time. I know that he has a world of potential. We've seen that a lot. We've seen a lot of guys in double-A come up here and really do a terrific job. We've seen a lot of guys at double-A just tear it up down there and get here and uh, can't do anything. Uh, I don't know what the case is going to be with Colas. I do know that uh, having the trade deadline come and go and not get the left-handed balance that uh, the Sox would have wanted, not for lack of effort because they may try to make a lot of deals, just nothing came through at the end. But is he a possibility? Yeah, he certainly is. I don't think he's on the 40-man roster, however, so you would have to drop somebody to bring him up which is something that's always problematic, depending on who it is you want to drop. So, again, it's not impossible. It's not silly. Um, it's improbable. But, you know, this game is built on improbabilities, and sometimes uh, that gamble pays dividends. Sometimes it doesn't. We just have to re remain vigilant, boys, and see what happens. Steve, we have a couple minutes left, so this is a tough one to answer briefly. But... Uh... Take, take a little time here. You, you came up with the nugget yesterday that for the first time this year, breaking balls have now been exceeded, have exceeded fat, uh, fastballs uh, being thrown in baseball for the first time in baseball history to this point of the season. Uh, what are the ramifications of that? We see the results, and that is pitching because of defenses and, uh, and spin rate harder to hit than ever, maybe since 1968. But what are the long-term ramifications of pitchers throwing more breaking balls than fastballs? Well, first, Bruce, and that, that's a wonderful question. I will take some time with it. 
let me say how refreshing it is to uh, get away from the legend of Sleepy Hollow and get into baseball questions. So that being said, um, we've identified with all of the analytics going forward that the slider, especially with the spin rates today, is a much, tiffer, uh, much tougher pitch to hit than the fastball. Consequently, guys are leaning much more heavily on the slider, and Dylan Cease is no exception to that. So you look at what's happening today, understanding this. There are different people in the organization charged with different responsibilities and have different goals. There are people in the front office with a long-term goal, long-term goal being sustained uh, competitive aspect to their ball club. So they would like to keep most of the team together as long as possible to sustain uh, a run at the division title, the wild card, get into the playoffs. There are other people with more immediate goals. One of them is the manager, another is the pitching coach. They have immediate goals. Let's win today. Let's win this year. Let's do it to what expense it really doesn't matter because the object of this game is winning. So when you have different goals, you have long-term, you have intermediate, you have immediate goals, one of the ramifications for what we've seen is that guys are going to be more effective when they're pitching. And because of the increased velocities, because of the size and the strength of pitchers, because of the fact that everybody across the board is throwing harder, we do know one thing. Because of this increased velocity with all of their pitches, we're seeing more injuries than ever before. We're going to see injuries going forward. And if they really lean heavily, if that slider becomes, I don't know, 50 55, 60% of their repertoire, we're going to see more injuries, especially on the slider, because it's a very difficult pitch on the elbow. Even when thrown right, with the increased velocities today, it puts an inordinate amount of strain on the elbow. And bear in mind, with guys being bigger, stronger, quicker, and faster than ever, one thing that hasn't gotten bigger is the tendons and the ligaments. So as muscles get bigger, as the players physically get bigger, the tendons and the ligaments don't get bigger. Consequently, when too much stress is applied, they will eventually give out. But that is not the domain of the pitching coach to a certain extent and the manager is certainly wanting to win now. You don't win now, you lose your job. You don't win now, they get somebody else. For pitchers, you don't win now, somebody takes your job. So they're looking for immediacy, and we will see those injuries. That will be the price that the industry has to pay for increasing more heavily on these pitches. But that being said, there's a whole lot of guys in the minor leagues. Some teams spend their whole draft drafting pitchers. Some teams, like the Cubs, draft an inordinate amount, 16 of 20, you said. Uh, teams bringing in a lot of pitchers on a yearly basis sometimes start to feel that the guys that are currently wearing major league uniforms, and bear in mind, you never own that uniform. You're just borrowing it until the next guy takes it. That's the way the game works. And it's always been, if you can't do it, somebody else will. So although you hate to lose the stars of your team, sometimes and inevitably that happens to pitchers. Understanding that very few pitchers ever leave the league with a very healthy arm. They leave the league because they got injured. Sometimes it's sooner, sometimes it's later, but almost without exception, all pitchers get injured. Steve, that's tremendous insight. We could talk about that for another hour or so. Unfortunately, we have to let you go and, and get on to your day. But thank you so much for joining us this morning from down in Texas. Okay, guys, take care. And, uh, you know, you're looking there at, uh, at two up at the Twins, tied with the Guardians uh, for the first time in a long time, and not exactly in sole possession second place, but a piece of it with, uh, with the Twins very squarely in the White Sox sights.
Steve Stone, NBC Sports Chicago and score baseball analyst, best insight in Chicago, just uh, gave us a lot to think about and talk about and follow up on. And we will continue to do that here on Inside the Clubhouse. But first, there's some breaking news on the scores brought to you by Beat the Streak Podcast. Get the inside edge on how to win the $5.6 million prize every day this baseball season. Listen on Odyssey or wherever you get your podcast. Bears Nugget, Tevin Jenkins, second-round draft pick from last season, has not practiced yet this year. He's in pads. He's at training camp. He's at Hallis Hall competing for a tackle position. That is big news, as Brad Biggs tweeted out. Tevin Jenkins on the field for the Chicago Bears. Steve Rosenblum will join us after the show. He'll have his own show, Rosie, at 11, following inside the clubhouse. But we've got a lot more to get to, including one of our favorite segments next. It's time for some chin music, people. Jed Hoyer will hear what he had to say, and Bruce will bring in the high, hard stuff on inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. High and inside. for some chin music. Hey, um, how about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves one, like this. I called, I, I you know, I called, you know, Perry Manassi and I called Mike Rizzo. Obviously, you have to check in, but... You know, I think right now in, you know, going into, you know, to 2023 effectively, like, you know, it did not, it did not make sense for, for us to be involved in the, the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Um, you know, I think you have to have a real structure, a real foundation built in order to, to make that kind of transaction. I think with the, with the Padres, they believe that this is their window and, and they are absolutely ready to, to win the World Series right now with him. And they pri- they paid a really heavy price um, to do that um, to get you know one of the you know, the best hitters we'll ever see. You know, we're not right now in, in a in a position as an organization um, to do that. David Hall, Bruce Levine, back on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy. The score that was Jed Hoyer on Thursday morning on the Mully and Haw show when I asked him if the Cubs had inquired about Shohei Otani or Juan Soto as you might expect a team in a major market like the Cubs are to show some interest. And Bruce, that answer made me believe that the Cubs were going to be much more deliberate than maybe some people anticipate. And when he says it did not make sense for us, and he's talking about in 2023, that to me kind of gradually pushed the timetable back a little bit. And maybe we thought that this was going to happen sooner rather than later when I think now the safe bet is on later. Yeah, I, I still, I'm still trying to get my head around the whole thing, David, because, um, you know, I, I think they, they always want to go for the best players available. But in Soto's case, maybe, maybe we're not looking at the, the whole picture that for two years of control, which, which is what it would be after this year, Right, because getting him for the trading deadline doesn't really help the Cubs. Right, they're not they're right. not in it. So right. getting him for two years, with where the Cubs are at, if, if you look at it that way, knowing that he's already turned down four hundred and forty million dollars, um, 
maybe makes more sense than originally the way I looked at it. Like, why wouldn't the Cubs want the best player in baseball? Uh, we're told this franchise is like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. When a, when the top player in the game becomes available, we're in. And to, to Hoyer's credit, he said he made those calls, okay? But from the perspective of starting to rip down your structure of trading four of your top young players in your organization to get Soto now would probably put you back another year or two. And then that, at that point, Soto is on the marketplace, knowing his agent, uh, you're going to be bidding against all 29 other teams and not have a leg up on keeping him in your organization. Bruce, it's defensible, but it's not popular. I, you can definitely make the argument, as I think Jed did without doing specifically, that you are better off at the state the Cubs are right now in trying to replenish your farm system with pitching prospects, with positional prospects, developing guys like Pete Crow Armstrong, which was a heist at the trade deadline a year ago for the, in the Javi Baez trade, and letting these players that you're seeing progress shown in 2022 continue to develop, continuing to stockpile pitching. And when he yeah. says that it doesn't make sense for the Cubs, look, you got guys like you know us who, who might be saying at the beginning of this season, you don't want to take, you shouldn't have to take a year off and uh, unload again if you're in Chicago and you're, you're having the revenue stream that the Cubs obviously have and the attendance that they take for granted perhaps. I just think that hearing Jed Hoyer say what he said, we've been clamoring for transparency all season long. That was as clear as I think that he has been, and I don't think he intended it to be, but when he says that it did not make sense for us in 2023, when he's looking ahead specifically at that, yeah, I get it. I think I understand. It was pretty clear. Yeah, no, but it, it, you're right, David. The essence of the comment is you will continue to see more rebuilding and don't plan on this team winning next year, okay? So from a team that had come so far, a franchise that had come so far to being with the Red Sox, with the Yankees, with the Dodgers, uh, it's, uh, it's no longer there because those franchises, although the Red Sox have ended up in last place a number of times in between championships, uh, those places uh, are normally competitive every year, okay? And, uh, you know, we didn't see a total teardown of, uh, the, uh, of the Yankees when they, right. when, when they tr made those trades in 2016 and gave the uh, Cubs Chapman. We didn't, and, the, and then the Indians uh, got uh, some veterans from them as well uh, to help them win. But, but from the perspective of, gee, this is going to be longer than we thought. Even even myself and, and other reporters like yourself and talk show hosts said, oh, you know, that's we finally heard that this is really a rebuild. Well, let, let's apply this to some practical thinking and what's ahead. The offseason of, of 2022 heading into 2023, the free agent class. Does what you heard from Jed Hoyer suggest as it maybe does to me, that the Cubs might not be as aggressive as we have spent the previous five months or so or four months or so thinking they would be. Bogarts, the, the shortstop class. Do you think that when he says 
They're not ready for Juan Soto. Well, are they ready to spend and go after Aaron Judge? I don't know, Bruce. I didn't yeah, hear I, that I, in his voice. I think the younger player, concentrate on the younger player. Because we saw, um, we saw two shortstops that were 27 years old get, uh, get huge money. And in, in the case of Correa, it's a short-term deal that he can get out of right away. Okay, So he's going to be mm-hmm. a free agent again this year at age 28. Uh, you know, that, that is a 27-year-old uh, player is a different story for the Cubs than a 30-year-old player like Contreras, okay? That, more, that fits more into their plan of being competitive. And let's just go out and say it, 25, 26, 27. Nobody you know? wants to talk about 25, I know, 26, I know, but, 27. But here, here, here's the thing. They identified Suzuki at age 27, right? Well, well okay. That, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. Does this suggest that their plans changed after they went out and they got Suzuki for $85 million and they signed Stroman to a $71 million contract? Was the plan initially to think that they were going to be in a position to contend sooner than what Jed Hoyer's comments suggest now? Yeah, fair question. I don't think so. I mean, I think... I think that a six or seven year offer to Correa, they knew was, I don't know, a long shot and probably not going to happen at the $30 million a year. Um, was it publicity? I don't think they were looking for the publicity. I think they want the fan base to know that they're always going to go after the best players. But the timing of it right now is... 24, 25, 26. Uh, what did it take the first time? 2012, 13, and 14. 108. So, so even yeah, right. But even <laughs> even the, the the best rebuilds aren't aren't there until the fourth year, right? Okay. Let me ask you this then, Bruce. Okay, in that context, then the the natural follow-up question where your mind goes is how many players on this Cub team in this lineup this weekend will be players that you can count on on that proverbial next great cub team i'm thinking nico horner maybe maybe two who's the second one maybe Suzuki. morrell maybe morrell maybe, maybe morrell I, I really like everything about him how do you not like the yeah. way that he plays and the versatility I, I, I don't know about madrigal yet i don't either i mean i think i do know and I, what i know i don't like i mean look i want to give him a chance and yesterday he broke up the no-hitter and all those good things, and he can hit, and he's Nicky two strikes. But, Bruce, he's got to be more durable, and he's got to be more dependable at the little things, the fundamental kind of nuances of, of the yeah. game, because a guy like that can't be somebody you can't trust. Steele and Thompson, you hope. Uh, you hope okay. them, yeah. Right. Uh, and what roles? Uh, uh, Hoyer coming back after Tommy John, you hope. And, and Wiss, Good point on hope. him. You know, you hope. But uh, realistically, of the 26 guys, maybe five or six, maybe maybe less. Who knows? But uh, I I will tell you this. I think think we we do understand now that if you're 27 years old and you fit into a plan that three years down the line you're going to be still a uh, viable player, you you might be. But I, I think the age has an awful lot to do with the timing of the deadline. In the case of Soto, it was a it was a question of not age because he's 23, but the viability of them being able to retain him after two years, 
it, it was it was a huge long shot. If you're gonna, he might be David. I'm gonna say this slowly, the first fifty million dollar player in baseball history. Fifty million a year. He might be that guy. I think you're right. That's very well put and a good prediction because he is, you know, in the marketplace based on inflation of salaries, he would be worth that investment. And maybe the Cubs will be in a position when he becomes a free agent if he does hit the market and the Padres let him do that to be in the bidding for a Juan Soto when they're both in line and more in sync with winning and going to get those kind of players. Yeah, the other thing is this before we close, Bruce, we know this is – chin music and you want to come in high and tight but after what Jed Hoyer said as forthcoming as he was I think we learned a lot from that interview I'm going down in a way I'm not going chin music I'm going down in a way I'm pitching around I, I'm kind you of know uh, what? I, I, David I'm still dusting myself off uh, you know <laughs> and as the umpire said uh, watch out you don't get killed uh, you know because uh, it, it for, for what I expect of the Chicago Cubs um, I expect superstar players here, okay? Uh, even during their, their, their worst times, I expect to see superstar players. And um, right now there are no superstar players in the Chicago Cubs. That, that's not an indictment uh, because I, maybe Hoyer and company are being more honest about this rebuild now. The fact that uh, we don't have to have someone to entertain the fans for the next two years we're trying to build the next great run for the Chicago Cubs. And as much as I was the one that asked him whether they pursued Otani or Soto, I still would like to know the answer to the question about Wilson Contreras. And to me, why they didn't and haven't extended his contract is more significant and mysterious than why they didn't pursue Otani or Soto. Would you agree with that? Hey, if it's not time for Soto, it's not time for Contreras, okay? That, he doesn't fit into their plan. They like him. They, he's, a, he's a good player. But if it's going to be three years, you're talking about past Wilson Contreras' prime at age 33. Well, we are going to continue this conversation, and we're going to take it to Iowa and talk about what's ahead this week for the Chicago Cubs as they return to the cornfields and they see what is out there. Oh, look, there's the Cincinnati Reds inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Just as long as the travel's all right and getting in and out, but yeah, I think it's a cool experience of game. It just gives a little bit more excitement to playing a, a, a normal game during the week. So I'm all for anytime we get a little bit more exposure and be able to televise the games and kind of grab more eyes from around the world. I think that's a cool experience. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. That was Marcus Stroman, Cubs pitcher, talking about Thursday's excursion into Iowa. The, the traveling circus that is the Chicago Cubs heads to Iowa, and that will be quite an attraction, Bruce. They are going to play the Field of Dreams game against the Cincinnati Reds. Our friend Dan Evans in charge of organizing everything out there in Iowa. The Sox played there last year, and it was memorable. And you expect similar type of, maybe not exactly the same kind of reaction because there's only one chance to to do something for the first time. But Cubs-Reds on Thursday night in Iowa, and the Field of Dreams is going to be a memory. 
It, it really is. And, uh, you know, it, it does it does tell you an awful lot about, uh, you know, the White Sox had the inaugural game. The Cubs have the, uh, the second game against the Reds, as you talked about. But it does tell you about the cachet of the uh, Chicago Cubs. And it does tell you uh, about this game and then about the game in London uh, next year against the Cardinals. Uh, whether they're uh, a team that's won 42 games or won uh, 70 at this point, uh, sometimes that, that transcends, uh, you know, the, 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 cub, the, the Cub aura transcends all of that. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Now, uh, these days, after winning a World Series, uh, just being competitive is not good enough, in my opinion, for Cub fans. That's, that's the pulse that I take out there. It's just not good enough. You, you have stepped up to being a, a top franchise and, and not only a beloved history franchise, but one that's expected to win. You can't back away from that, David. But, but again, with, with these great events uh, happening for Chicago teams back-to-back years, I think it's sensational. It's the quality of the brand. It's not the quality of the team. The, the brand, yeah. the logo, the attraction. That's why the Cubs will play the Cardinals June 24th and 25th next year. Get your tickets now. Bruce, that will be a lot of fun. Uh, hanging out at the pub, talking Cubs with some guy from Manchester who might be in town for the game or Birmingham. Who knows? But that would be quite an experience because I can tell you from having you know, been to London or Britain or whatever, they don't care about baseball at all over there. It's a novelty. And that, uh, I don't think they don't care much about anything, do they? Yes, they do. Bruce. What? They care about soccer. They call it football. They care about you know, a sticky uh, wicket. They, the Royals, know, uh, they, the Royal family. They care about a lot of know. things. If you're in Scotland, as my wife is from, they care about a lot of things there. Bruce, don't, please don't insult my wife. She's from Britain? She's from Scotland, yes. Oh, Scotland. Been there many not, times. That's not Great Britain. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll spare that's, everybody the that's geography a, that's a, lesson. That's a much cooler place. Much yeah, cooler it's much cool. It's, it's much easier to get to Iowa. That will be a game, Bruce. I wonder the presentation if it would be just as it, 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 fun as it was last year. And I, you know, Cubs and Reds aren't going to excite anybody, okay. but just the, the you know, the, Patrick the pick- Wisdom hitting one uh, 440 feet into the corn is going to be cool, no matter what, right? Yeah, it will. I, I don't know how the pitching or matchups are set up right now in terms of who's going to be going, but um, it's going to be somebody who is whoever is, is pitching for the Cubs that night is, well, is going to have a start unlike any other in their major league career. We know 670 to score will be there with Pat and Ron and Zach on the call, so that's for sure. Be listening we do. here on we have Thursday people, night. We have a lot of people to thank, Bruce. We do. Uh, Craig Breslow, vice president of uh, – Pitching for the Cubs and assistant general manager join us. The uh, indomitable and uh, terrific Steve Stone, always a pleasure to have on the air. Cesar Perez did a fantastic job of producing. David, it's always a joy doing this show with you, my friend. Talk to you You next too, week. Bruce. Have a great week. We'll talk to you on the Molly and Haas show. Thanks also to everyone for tuning in this morning. It was a lot of fun. Stay tuned right here because the Cubs... 12.45 pregame with their afternoon game against the Marlins. And first, Steve Rosenblum. He will have Mark Grody talking about Tevin Jenkins back on the practice field. Stay tuned for that at 11.20. For Bruce Levine, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com.